Well, good morning, New Hope. Again, it is always good to see you. I was just thinking about Josh's little expedition going in his fishing kayak. Ah, no dramas. We were way out, nearly 20 kilometers offshore on the jet ski, coming back into, an easterly, uh, into a westerly breeze and a chop. It was like somebody sitting there with a, uh, with a water blaster spraying my eyes because on the way out, we'd gone through this wave, Nathan and my son, well, he's six foot three at the back, so he gets to hide behind me, right? Yeah. We go through this wave because we're in a jet ski fishing competition, and we what we call submarined. Do you know what that means? We went straight through the wave. I started out with a hat and glasses. I came out of that wave with no hat, no glasses. <laughs> anyway, so coming back, I was, I was like Joshua. I literally would close my eyes at some stage and just keep hammering into it because it was a hard yard. So I'll have to talk to Josh about what a Kiwi drama is. <laughs> And that was for about 45 minutes plus. Anyway, it is really good to see you. Here's what I want to say to you. My prayer and my hope for you this year is that at the end of 2020, your hearts will be absolutely more in love with Jesus than you are now. I can tell you this, friends, young people. Jesus, to me, the older I grow, just gets better and better and better and better. And I love him so much. When I was younger, 18, 19, I was passionate about him. I still am. But there's a depth and another dimension that grows. He makes sense of reality. Nobody else, no philosophy, no thought, no person will make sense of reality like Jesus Christ. So with that thought in mind, I want to open this morning based on a lot of conversations I've been hearing and listening to. As I was praying about what to share this morning, I want you to take careful note of this because you will be able to, A, apply this to yourself, but if you're saying right now, well, this is good, but it doesn't apply to me right now, It will apply to you this year. I guarantee it. And secondly, there are some of your friends who could use this message and you need these principles that you're going to see. So you're not to just absorb. You're to give out. Freely you've been given. We've been given by Jesus and his word, counsel. We're to also, at the right and appropriate times, tactfully and with grace, share his principles to help untangle people's minds and lives. So I want to talk to you this morning about how to have confidence. And every now and again, you and me and you, and even the most confident of us can lose our confidence. We can feel anxious in uncertain times. I mean, even this week, I was listening to some talkback radio, and I, I detected quite a few people felt a twinge of uncertainty over the Iranian saber rattling. Huh? Anybody else sense that this week? That's on an international scale. But I want to drag it down now and bring this down to a very personal level. You and I can feel very uncertain when things aren't going so well at home. Perhaps things aren't going so well in a relationship. Perhaps things aren't going so well with your job and you've got a gnawing feeling that it's time I changed. Or you think the boss thinks it's time you changed. (laughs) Or maybe it's you've got a financial problem. And they can close in on you like darkness. Or even more serious than that, is from time to time you may have some uncertainties about your health. Now some of you young bucks think, God, that'll never happen to me. 
Just saying. Or when you lose a loved one, that can cause a great deal of angst and uncertainty. What does this mean to me now? Now, it's because of the effects of sin. That's a one summary statement that we face a lot of uncertainty that comes into our lives that we do not relish. So the question is, when it comes into your life, fear and often uncertainty, how do we deal with this from God's perspective? What does he have to say to you and me in the uncertainty of things in this world? Because he says, whilst you're on this earth, you will have trouble. That's a fact. Anybody who says otherwise is deluded. Because you're saying, well, I can escape the effects of sin. Wrong. You you will only be delivered from the presence of sin when you're in heaven. Whilst on earth, you and I will, will feel the effects and have to deal with the effects of sin in relationships, in jobs, and in every other dimension of our lives. So how do you handle the stress of uncertainty? How do you let go of some old things and hold on with hope to new things in 2020? Now, I've noticed as I was trying to summarize it, there's at least three factors that cause stress and anxiety in our culture. And again, I go back to a conversation I had in that table right there with four medical doctors not long ago. And they said the number one symptom that's presenting in their practices, and by the way, only two of them are in the same practice. So there's three practices represented there. And every one of them said anxiety and depression, two things that they're dealing with. So what are three factors that can cause anxiety in our lives? The first one is that life is moving faster. Life is moving faster. That is a fact. The pace of life is speeding up, and technology has a part to play. Now, I'm not against technology. I'm a technocrat. My background's in IT, computer science. Now, technology has a part to play, and it's never slowed anything down except the process of dying. (laughs) Now it takes longer to die because of technology. Everything else is speeding up. And I was reminded of the irony of a situation that happened on my sister-in-law's birthday, but in 1776, July 4, 1776, I was reading this week, King George of England wrote in his diary on July 4th. You can read this, 1776. Nothing much happened today. (laughs) Because it took him weeks to discover there was a rebellion going on in the colonies and America had declared independence. He was blithely unaware what was going on. Now, if that was today, he would instantly hear via Fox or CNN or on the internet and everybody else would be aware of it too. I don't know whether you've noticed that when you walk around your neighborhood, you see things that you haven't seen before. Anybody ever notice that? (laughs) What? Where did that happen? When did they change that? Who put that there? And that's a principle in life. When your pace that you go at is so fast, life becomes a blur because you can't stop and focus. It's like if you've been on a really fast train, you're And it's very hard to focus. Sometimes we have to slow down a little so we can get very intentional and focus. Otherwise we skim. Second thing I've noticed is decisions are more complicated today. I'm trying to buy a second-hand vehicle. 
Oh my goodness. There are a lot of complications in that now that were never there, apart from market factors and a changing market. Even simple decisions are complicated in our lives. We're swimming in a world of multiple choices, and that can add distress. I remember when we moved to America, here in little old New Zealand, we had the sausage section, and we had about four, five, six types of sausages there. You could walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. So there's about 45 choices of sausages. I mean, just this one, that one would be good, but the, the more options there are, the more complex life is. How, let's bring it back to New Zealand. Have you ever changed your power company recently? Oh, they hide a lot of things. They've made it so, they've packaged it cleverly in such a way, it's hard to pull the thing apart and figure out which is the best deal. You've got to look hard. Insurance is another one. Why is life so complicated? Because there are a plethora of choices. And to be rational, you have to evaluate quite a few of them to get to an answer. There's a third thing we've seen that causes stress. Not only is every decision getting complicated, this is a big one. Fundamental or rudimentary values are being challenged. Fundamental values are being challenged. Right is being called wrong, and wrong is being called right. Even standing up for what we know is right is now seen as wrong. I was just sharing with somebody before the service, I had to, I am professionally skeptical in all of my life. I want the facts. At first blush, what I read today, uh, excuse me, this week was ridiculous. I thought, that cannot be right. So I dug a level deeper, and a level deeper, and a level deeper. Let me tell you how this affects this. The point here I'm talking about is fundamental values are being challenged. Do you know that as of today, there are 21 countries in our world that have legalized incest? Fundamental values are being challenged. Check it out. Not only 21 countries have legalized incest and other unspeakable, I can't even mention some of the other things that are legal in some countries. On the other hand, you say anything against any other religious persuasion, uh, any other religious persuasion in, in, in New Zealand, bar Christianity, and they won't worry about it. If it's Christianity on the other hand, you'll, we're fair game. What I'm saying is that every other religion is very touchy about you talking about them. But people attack Christianity with regular affronts. 80% of all acts of religious discrimination are against Christians. 900,000 martyrs killed for Christ in the last decade alone. I have all the sources for these. There were more Christians killed in the 20th century than the previous all of the centuries back to Christ. We are the most persecuted group on the planet. Why? Well, you know why? Because, by the way, some people don't even believe that there's not even such a thing as right and wrong. I've heard university professors say it's a social construct. Right and wrong is what you want it to be. 
That's relativism to the nth degree. Whenever I hear somebody say something like that, oh, there are no absolutes, I want to say, are you absolutely sure? Because that's self-defeating. That's a statement is an absolute in itself. There are no absolutes. That's an absolute statement. It's contradictory. And it's all attached to the, uh, the, the, the scriptures in the, that say the fool, it's, the fool is the one that says there is no God. Once you start to dismiss him, your thinking goes crazy. It's not anchored in anything. It seems like every value we have is being challenged by some group in some ways. I looked up what people want to get married to these days. One bird was trying to get married to a duvet. You've heard of these ridiculous things, just ridiculousness. How are we supposed to live in such a crazy environment where life is getting more frenetic and more complicated? Where many of our bedrock values that have been fundamental for centuries and have been held by families and holding society together are now being thrown out the window. How in the world are you supposed to live in a a culture like that? Well, Alvin Toffler, who wrote a very famous book called Future Shock, says that when people go through periods of rapid change, what they're looking for are islands of stability. Now, you need, what he was saying is you need something to anchor your life to that does not change. Is there anything in the world like that? Well, my guess is there are probably some things in your life that you thought would never change two or three years ago, but have already changed. Maybe they weren't as reliable as what you thought. Ever been disappointed in a product that you thought would last a while and it just bummed you out? Is there anything that never changes? Never, ever changes? And this is where we get to what the scriptures have to say. We've just described what's going on in the world. Now we're going to look at what... There are three things the Bible says that are certain. I love that word. Certain. Number one. In the middle of all that ridiculousness, God's love is certain. God's love is certain. It never changes. In fact, he says here in Malachi 3.6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Uh-uh. No changing. Consistent. There's a theological term that we use for that. It's called immutability. Anybody who tries to tell you that God changes has not got a good grasp of the God of the Bible. He's always been the same. He is the same. And he'll always be the same. Past, present, and future. Why does God never change? Because he's perfect. And because God's perfect, he can't get any better, and he can't get any worse. And if you're perfect, there's no need to change. Three plus three is six. No need to change the answer because it's correct, perfect, it's true. And so God says, I'll never change. In Jeremiah 31.3, he says there on your outline, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Not, well, try it for 30 days and we'll have an exchange, short-term type of deal. There's not a short-term love. It's an everlasting, certain, you can count your life on it. You are made to be loved by God And God's love for you, friend, is absolutely certain. 
And that is good news. There's no shadow of fickleness, no shadow of doubt. His love is consistent. His love is continual. His love is compassionate. His love is caring. Everlasting and it's certain. Now that is completely different, in case you missed it, from human love. Human love wears real thin, real quick. It can be fickle. Good statement to remember. God is faithful. People are fickle. You can take that home to the bank. We love. Oh, I love you. And then we don't love. Don't touch me. Get away from me. Don't talk to me. We're irritable. God is not. We're hot. And then we're cold. The truth is, some days you and I don't want to love anybody. We're grumpy, unpleasable, fickle, and unfriendly. And we end up taking our frustrations out, and often, unfortunately, those closest to us. I've observed this in business often, that people are more, have more decorum with their business partners than they do with their spouses or their children. I thought, that's not the way it should be. Number one, we should be consistent wherever we are. But why do we do and behave like this? Because we're human beings. God, on the other hand, is not like us. The Bible says here in Psalm 136, He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. You can't wear it out. It never changes. Circle those words endures forever. It is certain. And that brings me, how that makes me feel is I feel confident. I never need to feel unconfident of God's love. You can count them in no matter what happens to you in 2020. God is never going to stop loving you. Always remember, I never need to doubt God's love. Lots of things are uncertain. Some of you who are married have sometimes doubted your spouse's love. Yeah? But you need never doubt God's love. It is certain and it will never change. No matter how I feel or what I have done or what I have thought. Because guess what? God's love is not based on my performance or my mood. It's based on his character, which is unchangeable, not my performance. Look at this verse here. Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, that's today, nor things to come, that's in the future, that's 2020 for you. Nor powers, nor height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice, Paul stands convinced that nothing can interrupt the certainty of God's love in Christ Jesus. Actually, he lists there ten items which are complete opposites. Stark extremes of dimension of existence. He says of life and of death. Life, you can't get farther apart. Two ends. Of angels and demons. Of present and future. Of height and depth. See, it doesn't matter what extreme you go to, you cannot be separated from the love of God. That means to you that you can go to bed tonight confident of the fact that tomorrow morning, when you get up, God's love never changes. And that something 
I can anchor my life to. And so can you. Have you also noticed that when you hang around confident people, you become more confident, more emboldened, more secure? That is a secret. If some of you are battling in your lives, at work, wherever it is, with insecurity, this is a secret. Hang on to God's love, which never changes. Find your security in his love, which never changes. Because if you put it in your car and it gets dinged, boom. Or your job and you get fired, or you have a terrible year, or the economy craters, you're going to be feeling terrible. Never attach your emotional well-being to something that can change. That's really stupid. God's love never changes. Number two, God's word is the other thing that will never change. It is certain. God's word is certain. Isaiah, one of my favorite verses. In fact, when I first got my Bible in 1975, that's a long time back. That's a long time back. At the very front of the New American Standard Version, it had this verse quoted. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I love that. It's timeless. It's changeless. It's enduring, it's eternal, it never withers. It is always fresh. I love that. Doesn't get stale. When somebody says, Oh, I'm not getting much out of the Bible, well, here's a question for you. That's a rhetorical question. Do you think there's a problem with the Bible? Or do you think the heart or the soil that's receiving the word of God, which is sharper than every uh, than the two-edged sword? Dividing the intentions, it gets right in there. The Bible never changes. It's never at a date, ever. Compare this, on the other hand, contrast it to human writings. When we write a science textbook, one of my friends has a PhD in the philosophy of science, and many of my friends are science teachers. By the time they finish writing the textbook, it's already at a date. Why is that? Because we're constantly playing catch-up and discovering God's thoughts after him, which is what Einstein said science really was. Because there's a pattern, because it's understandable, it just takes us a while to catch up. Science and technology and medicine, even in my own field, quantum computing. Whoa! We had no clue about this, really. And we still are very vague on it, but we're slowly making progress. We're figuring, oh... Maybe that's how God does things so quickly. Built our brains, even in photosynthesis. We won't get into that. If you build your life on popular human opinion, you will have an uncertain foundation. So decide, young people, even ones that have been on the road for a while, make sure that you're not being bowled along by the tide of popular human culture. Isaiah makes a stark contrast here between people on the one hand and God on the other. He says people are like wild grass and flowers that come up in the springtime for a little while and only to fade and fail when the weather gets hot. Take a look at my grass right now, right? It dies off. But on the other hand, 
God's word never fails, for his word endures forever. It endures. It doesn't wear out. doesn't fade. doesn't die off. Now, this fact would have greatly comforted and encouraged the people who were getting this verse in the exile, who read these words, because God's words stand, because his prophecy that the people would be restored to their homeland was sure to be fulfilled, they could then have the attitude of heart and mind that's spelled out in First Peter 1. It says, our glorious inheritance is certain, imperishably unfading. Because God's promises will never fail. The word of God is eternal. Notice in Psalm 119 verse 152. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Wow, what else can you point to? IBM will not be here in not so many years. Amazon will not be here in not so many years. They come and they fade. Notice it's not meant as a temporary suggestion for a bygone era, God's words. He says, long ago, you established your statutes to make them last forever. Forever. These are eternal principles. That's got some implications, by the way. And by the way, whilst we're at that, the gospel is eternal. You can read about that in Revelation. Matthew 24, 35 says, Jesus said it like this, heaven and earth will pass away. So hang on, this heaven and this earth that we're standing on right now will pass away. It's going. New heaven, new earth, we know that. But notice what he says then, but my words will not pass away. So that's kind of hyper important. God has established certain physical laws of the universe. If I walk out of this looking the wrong way and go down on my leg the wrong way, I'm going to not break the law of gravity, I'm going to break my leg. It's not going to hurt the law of gravity if I try and disobey. It's going to hurt me. And in the same way, God has established moral laws in the universe that he intends for our human flourishing and betterment. And every time I ignore God's moral or spiritual law, I hurt myself. Because those laws are there for my benefit. God says, I want you to follow my word wholeheartedly. You know what the fundamental temptation is that was there right back in the beginning with Adam and Eve when they were tempted by the tempter? You know what it is? It comes in the form of this. Has God really said? Did God really say? The tempter was questioning God. And we, you and I, face the same basic temptation all the time. The temptation to doubt God's word. Did God really, really, really say? You fill in the blank. Here's a good one. Don't marry non-Christians. Did he really say that? Absolutely he did. Did he really say that marriage is between one man and one woman? That's it. He did. If Satan can get you to start to use that line, did God really say that? It's not going to be too long until you fall or fall for anything. There are many variations on that temptation. One of them in Christian circles, they kind of twisted a little. And it goes like this. Oh, that's just your interpretation. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah? Oh, that's just your interpretation. You share a Bible with, with somebody and they say, 
It's your interpretation. That's a really strange one. Really strange. See, because when you see a stop sign, how do you interpret that? You stop. It's clear. Now let me be really clear with you. The standard method of interpreting the Bible is simply this. Historically and grammatical exegesis. In other words, what that means is, what does it actually say? What did it mean back then? And it's a literal interpretation unless something else indicates it's like poetry. Huh? You know when I'm speaking poetry. You know when I'm talking fact. You have to look at that. But you take it literally. Proper interpretation begins with looking at the text objectively. It comes from a God who established absolute truth. He's not trying to confuse you. He's not trying to be unclear. He has objectively revealed his truth in his word. So we must not stop there though. Because from meaning, we must move on to application. How the scripture applies to my life because circumstances change. We're not living under a Roman emperor. Let me say in one sentence, there is only one interpretation for any verse, but there are many applications. The interpretation is what did it mean to the person or the group of people that was being spoken to back then? That's exactly what it meant. No fudging around with the the text. It's exactly what it meant back then, but there are many applications Since the Spirit inspired those words in the first place, he can help us see the application today. I know another version of this is similar to this. Well, I know that it says that in the Bible, but it's for those people back there in those times. So those rules and regulations are back for those people back there. Now it's 2020. We're enlightened. But friends, I want to say something very clear to you. God's truth is eternal. It never changes. What was wrong a thousand years ago is still wrong today and will always be wrong in the future. Doesn't matter what opinion polls say. Does not matter. Some of you in this room have got a bit, I was, I guess, yeah, have got thin skin when it comes to standing up. When incest is brought in here or suggested by your local MP, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to go and pick up that phone and make an appointment to go see them and have it out eye to eye with them? Nicely, but saying, that's unacceptable for these reasons. Or do you just let it wash over you? We have to stand up for what we know is God's eternal truth. It was wrong then, irrespective of what politicians say, irrespective of what opinion polls say, and it's still wrong. Right is right. And truth is central. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. In other words, it's got to affect your life. It's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So if you want certain stability in your life, you need to build it clearly on God's unchanging word. So you ain't going to get shaken around. You're not going to be one minute, oh yeah, I think this is right. Next minute, no, I think this is right. This year, resolve to be engaged in God's word in a greater manner because I can give you no other thing that will gauge your growth in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ than by getting into God's word. And that is not, for some of you, let me be real clear, it is not five minutes. That's an excuse. One day, I saw this young lady in my youth group. 
And do you think I wanted to spend five minutes with her and then rush off with the boys? <laughs> like heck, I was trying to think of every reason I could spend some time with her. And it's the same with Jesus. It's a relationship. I don't have to because, oh, I'm a pastor or I'm a Christian, spend X amount of time. Oh, because I've got it at my back. No, I want to. It's a relationship. So can you see how five minutes wouldn't cut it with her? It wouldn't cut it with my kids either. So if I truly have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to want to, desire to, and find joy in my time with him and speaking with him. And the Holy Spirit will speak back to me through his word and he corrects things in my life that need to be corrected. Faulty thinking. So this year, resolve to engage in God's word daily. Because you want to. I could even tell you some of the letters Kimberly sent me and I would remember some of the sentences. In the same way, it wasn't an effort to do that. I wanted to remember her love. Why do we need to memorize the scriptures? Because when you need God's word most, when you're tempted the most, 99% of the time I've experienced I don't have a Bible in my hand. Whoops, I need to look this up. <laughs> and plus, by the time I found it, I probably, I've already passed the point of inflection. I need it in my heart. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Often, when that situation has come, and the words come to my mind and heart, that has been a turning point in an attitude in my life. So why wouldn't you memorize the scriptures? Many people memorize rugby scores, or TV plots, or what's happening in the latest series on Netflix. So memorize Scriptures, they contain the truths of God which any successful life, and I'm talking about successful in God's eyes, and that's the only ones that I'm interested in. Number three, and finally, God's purpose for my life is absolutely certain. That's the third thing I can understand and know confidently. I know this confidently, and it'll never change. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. For he is not a man that he should change his mind. I'm really glad for that verse. See, because long before God planned, uh, before you were born, God planned you. Long before you were born, even conceived, God planned you. And if you're alive today and you're breathing, which includes nearly every one of you in this room, (laughs) God has a purpose for your life. You can be certain of that. He didn't just shake you up as a bunch of DNA and say, there you go, go for it. He's revealed his plan. And it hasn't changed no matter what has happened or hasn't happened in your life. God said of Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now God knew you as he knew Jeremiah before you were even conceived. And he has a purpose in mind for you. And he's always thought that you were valuable. God has never had to change his plans. Never. Why? Because God is all-knowing. That's omniscient. 
He knows exactly what's going to happen in your life in 2020. And you and I don't have a clue. He does. So hang on to him. He's all-powerful. That's an omnipotent, all the power. He has the power to do anything he chooses to do. So God never has to change his plans. And his plan for you, friend, has never changed. So since God said to made you for a purpose, that plan doesn't change. That brings up three very important questions. And we don't talk about these much. Number one is, can I miss God's purpose for my life? Can I miss it? And the answer is absolutely yes. How? How can I miss? I don't want to do that. Well, I'll tell you what. Number one, you can miss it by neglect. You can miss it by just saying, blowing them off. Neglecting God's purpose. Not counting it valuable. How can you tell if it's valuable? Well, look at the time and effort and, that you put into that. If I counted a relationship with my, my wife valuable, my girlfriend at that time, you'd see two evidences of that in my life. Number one, the time I spent with her <laughs> and the emotional attachment I had to her and the priority I gave her. If I said that and did the opposite, I'm lying. I'm deceiving myself. Worse, I'm trying to deceive her. But she's smart. She'd figure it out. Okay, so you can miss it by neglect. Number, the second part of that, you can miss it by arrogance. Now, what do I mean by arrogance? That's quite a harsh word. Let me explain what I mean by that. By doing your own plan, getting on with your own agenda, and basically saying, God, forget you. I'm just wrapped up with my life, my priorities. And third is by flat out, yep, I know what you want of me, but uh-uh, I ain't doing it. Some of you may have had children like that. I know what you want, mum and dad, but I ain't doing it. Wah, wah, wah. Complain, push. <laughs> that's rebellion. Now, it's one thing against the parents, a whole other class of offense against God. Or it could be just, I know what you want, but I'm too lazy. That's another legitimate reason why you can miss God's purpose in your life. So you can live your entire life, God's has a plan, and you can be going another direction. I know a prophet that tried to do that. Do you remember his name? Absolutely. And not fulfill the reason God put you here on this earth. It's a choice where you say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I really do. I want you to be. I want to follow your plans and your purpose for my life. So yes, you can miss your purpose by ignoring God's purposes for your life. You can give your heart, your energy, and your life to second-class causes. Number two. Second question that it comes up with here is, okay, I, can, I get it, I can miss it by neglect or arrogance or all those things. The second thing I can do is, question is, can I get back on track? After I've missed it, can I get back on track? After wasting sometimes years of my life, like the children of Israel, walking around in the desert, Walking around, going nowhere really, just existing. Absolutely you can get back on track. The same thought is expressed in Psalm 33 verse 11. But the plans of the Lord stand firm. They ain't changing. For anybody, any principality, any power, God's purposes and plans stand firm. The purposes of a heart through all generations. That's how, that's how committed he is to the consistency of this plan. It will never change. Through all the generations. I love that. The stability in there. That means, implication, that no matter what has happened in your life to date, 
God's purpose and plan for your life has not changed. And that doesn't matter whether you're 12 or 90. Some of you say, well, what about that sin, that stupid decision I made that sidelined me for 10 or 20 years? Friend, regardless of what has happened in your life up to this point, you can be certain that God has not given up on you. His purpose is last eternally. Proverbs 19.21 You can make many plans, but it's the Lord's purposes that will prevail. And that brings up the third question. What about all those dumb things I've done? Those really bad choices, the ones I regret, which had never happened. Romans 8.28 answers that. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What I've found is that God can take all the broken pieces of our lives and make something beautiful out of them. And only he can really do that. But that is not a promise for everyone. You must place all of those broken bits, not in the hands of this world, but in the hands of Jesus. In Christ's hands. Think about the biggest disappointment you've ever had. Or the most regret in your life. Something will come to mind. Whatever it was, God saw it before it happened. And he will find a way to weave it into his plan and purpose for your good, for your growth, and most importantly, for his glory. What a God. God's purpose in your life will never change. No matter what you've gone through, whether it was your fault or somebody else's, and God can use it for good if you give him the pieces. So when you think about the future and potential changes that are coming our way, regardless of what it is that's got you nervous, why don't you do what David did and say this in Psalm 56 verse 11, In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love it. And then he says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In other words, he's proven reliable. Therefore, we will not fear. I thought about this, my goodness, though the earth gives way. That's a pretty radical deal. That's an earthquake of gargantuan proportions. And the mountains move to the heart of the sea. Now, I don't know why it's going to be in your 2020, and neither do you. But I do know three things. If you build your life on these three unchangeable facts, you and I can handle enormous stress and change in this life because in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. Keep your chin up, for I have overcome the world. I know this. God will never stop loving me, even when I feel unlovable. I know that God's word is all right, even when it seems unpopular and sometimes unreasonable. But it's always the right thing to do because he only tells me the truth. Other people will lie to you. God will never lie. God only tells you the truth. So he'll never stop loving me. God's word is always the right thing to do. And God's purpose is always greater than my problems. Anytime I start doubting these three cardinal truths, I'm in trouble. There's a verse, the last verse, on your outline that says this. Those that trust in the Lord will be like Mount Zion, unmoved 
I love that. Unmoved, firm by any circumstance. Rock solid confidence that can make one secure and unshakable. Do these three things and you will have no fear in 2020. Commit these three things into the new year. Would you join me in prayer? In your heart now. Father, I realize many things in my life and our lives are beyond our control. And you know that we as humans often have difficulty in adjusting to the difficult changes around me. Lord, we need your stability in our lives. And Jesus Christ, we want to focus on the things that will never change. Thank you that you will never stop loving me. Thank you so much. Today I accept your love through Jesus Christ. And thank you for your unchanging word. Help me to learn it and live by it. Thank you for making me for a purpose. And in 2020, I want to get to know you better. And your plan for my life. I want my relationship with you to go deeper. Help me to slow down for long enough to focus. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. But I am willing. For some of you, you may want to say, I ask you to forgive me for the years that I've wasted. But I do want to get back on track today, Lord, as I've been looking at your word. I open my life up to you today, Lord. Would you come in and take control? I release that control to you. And if you've never invited your life to be changed by Jesus Christ, why don't you say that right now? Just say, Jesus Christ, as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life and to change me from the inside out by your Holy Spirit, cleansing me from all sins and things that would act as a barrier, a distance between me and you. I pray this is in your precious name. Amen.